then second thing I love about that story, you had the initiative to maybe not break the rules, bend the rules. <laughs> I don't know, but to say like, but you're the rule breaker usually, <laughs> you know, so that's, that's, but you, you were like, I'm going to leave school on my lunch break, copy this key, obviously not my property, but I, I want to go and shoot more free throws and practice more. So I'm going to copy this key so that I can get in whenever I want and not to do anything like what most kids, high school kids are doing. Yeah, like graffiti. graffiti or stealing <laughs> shit. You're like, no, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to like hold my better. craft. My free throw percentage needs to be a few percent higher. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Bootstrapping SAS to Millions. I'm Mike. This is Kev. We are the founders of Spectora. And this podcast is all about sharing stories and lessons learned as we built this business from zero all the way up to what's now an eight-figure business um, without taking any outside funding. What's awesome. up, Kev? What are we talking about today? Dude, so I, I want to dive into a certain topic here that I don't think gets enough attention. So many people talk about the story of when they started their startup mm-hmm. and then, you know, the exit. And some people talk about the middle, but what about all the stuff before? What about the preparation? What about the mindset? What about the backgrounds of these founders like us? And what what have we done in the past to prepare for what this has become? And so I just want to spend some time digging into our backgrounds, kind of picking out stuff that we, in retrospect, can say, wow, that was really helpful to bootstrapping a SaaS company. And um, also just give ourselves an opportunity to share a little bit more about our background and backstory. Love it. I love this because it, you're right. It doesn't get talked about enough. Everyone glosses over, oh yeah, I did this for a couple of years, did this for a couple of years, and I started a company and not into what, you know, we talk about lessons all the time we've learned from previous lives to our team. Yeah. And so I think every entrepreneur um, could dig into this more and take bits and pieces because it's not just corporate job or startup. Right. There's so many elements of being entrepreneurial, I think within a corporate job that you don't even realize because yeah. you probably hate it or you just like are thinking I'm just punching the clock. Right. So, and didn't we read that the average age of a successful startup founder is like late thirties to early forties. Yep. And so it shows you that there's a certain amount of life experience that's necessary before you can do it. Yeah. You have your outliers, the guys that somewhere in college start their, you know, billion dollar company. But I think for the most part, you have to learn a lot. You have to prepare a lot to get to a point where you can't succeed. And so, yeah. And the Zuckerbergs of the world make everyone feel like they're behind. And I felt that, you know, I was at t- age 25 feeling like I was like the hourglass was like running out because I was like, God, you know, you read all these young entrepreneurs, there's only like five or 10 of them. Right. The rest, <laughs> you know, all these super famous ones found their success in their thirties, forties, fifties, and sixties even. So that's an important thing to note, um, you know, for everyone out there, because I think we still even feel behind certain times, maybe without even realizing it, but it's like, no, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. The things you've learned to prepare you uh, to be a great entrepreneur. Yeah. So obviously, so we're brothers and we have obviously the same upbringing. And we were talking a little bit before we hit record on some of those lessons learned from our parents that maybe we didn't even realize at the time, but in retrospect, we're like, damn, that really ingrained in us X. Right. So what, yeah, where do you want to start? I mean, you brought up a couple. Let's let's dive in. Yeah, I think everyone can, you know, look back into their upbringing and childhood and find certain things that whether they inspired you or built certain habits. And so we like to think back to just uh, the kind of, I guess, blue collar upbringing um, from two parents that just worked hard, like from baby boomer generation. Um, dad worked Air Force for 30 years and just kind of like punched the clock in a sense, but was very workmanlike. And so we... Mm-hmm 
we saw someone that just went into work, did a good job, had pride in his job and, um, and talked about it to us, you know, of just like not half-assing anything. That's what he'd always say when one of us would cut the grass or wash the cars and like do a half-assed job. He would tell us like, you half-assed it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And he'd also say, if you're going to do something, do it well, which is, I guess the flip side of that. Right. And gosh, that's such a huge lesson that I remember thinking when we were first building Spectora, just like, Hey, let me do this. Well, that it's easy to cut corners when you're building something. It's easy to cut corners when you're talking to customers, when you're trying to make a sale. If you really take that quality approach to everything you do, man, that's yeah. huge. And you know, everyone can decide to do, be, do things high quality or like, we're going to do a great job. It's easy to say that, but I, it gets deep ingrained in you when you see that modeled or you're inspired by someone early on. And then you just make the decision early when the brain, you know, when your brain's still forming to mm-hmm. do everything until the job's done or yeah. till the, the customer is satisfied. Um, not to say you can't learn that as an adult, but I think like seeing it, boy, it, it prepared us more than we knew of like, do the job till it's done, provide get great service and make sure the person, the thing is done and the person's happy. Yeah. Yeah. Our dad started as an enlisted air force. So not, not an officer. We come from very humble origins. Um, electrician on aircrafts, worked his way up to senior master sergeant and retired. So that's like the highest enlisted rank. And um, at the end, he was like managing the entire aircraft maintenance, um, all the different departments within it. So obviously he did a lot of stuff well. A lot of it was just continuing to show up to work every day and doing a good job. And he, he taught us, I think, that the work ethic of persistent and consistent showing up over time, right? Yep. Yep. Showing up over time. And he also was a big handyman. So it's like, we always uh, laugh about how like he can't not fix something around the house when he sees it wrong. And like the impact of that, when you think of the impact of seeing someone growing up, they see a baseboard slightly off or they see, you know, paint that's not right. He just always fixed it right then and there. And so like, think about that in terms of a software product or something with a customer, like when you just kind of like have to just do it, like that's a huge quality instead of like uh, leaving the dishes in the dishwasher. We always use that metaphor with the team. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he was also kind of a, a builder, like in our <laughs> first house growing up, um, we didn't have enough square footage once you and I started getting older. So he just built on this extra room. He turned what was just backyard space into this playroom for us and it ended up looking really good. It was like a sunroom with skylight. He did all the work himself. Yeah. He just would go to the library, get books on how to, do construction stuff to learn it this was before the internet was like a thing he was teaching himself by having to go to the library and check get out books, books which is books. nuts to us right, right. we right. just do a quick google search i'm watching a youtube video on how to do shingles or whatever and He's, he didn't outsource did think about outsource. that think about how it's manifested with spector right like of not out not just having the quick instinct to say oh just hire someone or just go in debt such a good point um, he built it He's a builder. You got into basketball early on. So he decided to turn our side yard into a basketball court. And I remember him like pouring the concrete. <laughs> Did it all. And he had a few buddies from work come and they were all kind of leveling it. And there we go. We had a basketball court growing up. And that's what led to you playing college basketball. That DIY mentality Man. of just like, oh, I have a need. I'm going to build something for it. And I'm going to do it well. Wow. Yeah, the craftsman, you know, and it's emblematic, I think, of that generation to a degree. There's less of that in our generation, I think, of like, I can do it myself. I can build it with my hands. 
um you know that's a shift obviously oh. from the builder generation to like 100 technical online now right which you build with your hands just on a keyboard right you know and that's just <laughs> the difference and so yeah and so many millennials now they're so quick to outsource to look outwards and say oh how do i hire this out how do i get somebody to do this for me and there's times for that but when you're bootstrapping a company i think a lot of it needs to be at least our experience was a lot of it needs to be figure out how to do it yourself once you have something in place, once you know how to do it, maybe then you can ascertain the value of what it will be to hire it out. Right. But gosh, we did so much. We did everything. We Nights and weekends. Taxes. We were doing our own, you know, everything. Yep. Just, Design, creative, everything, copy. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, when he was going to school to be an electrician, I think he did nights and weekends. So he's doing night yeah. school too. So that's another story that kind of like, I guess, made us say, you know what, nights and weekends when we're side hustling Spectora to get it to where it is, as opposed to, you know, starting cut and dry or um, outsourcing and going into debt. It was just like, nope, do the slow and steady, the non-sexy way that takes longer, Yeah, but we own it. We own the whole thing. You touched on another huge key there is not spending money till you make it. That was something our dad has always said. We never have had car loans. He always bought the used cars that he could afford in cash. Never had a car payment. Yep. Yeah. They they rarely used credit cards. It was always, hey, what is, what's the budget bringing in? And they live paycheck to paycheck. Our parents are, um, they, they told us only recently that, man, there was most months where it was like a thousand bucks left in the Checking bank account. account. Yep. And um, that's just how they did it. And the only time they said they went into debt was for a family vacation. That was like their... Cause that was passed down, I think to our dad from yeah. his grandparents with her, like never sacrifice a little trip to a lake or right. whatever. It's like, we took extravagant vacations. We went to Lake Tahoe, I think was the biggest yeah. and best. Yeah. And, uh, and that was, that was, that was an eye opener for us to say we went into debt so we could have that experience as a family. So like yeah. that was their ethos was experiences is the only reason to go into debt. That's right. it. <laughs> and so obviously that played out in our business by, us wait until we had revenue until we hired anybody for one before we paid for most of our software platforms. I think we were on free or yeah. basic tiers on everything that we could up until we had the revenue to justify the expense. It didn't pay ourselves for what, a year, about a year, a year and a half from when we started building. I mean, and then we were in operation for a full year. So it was really two years of not paying ourselves while working on this thing. Okay. Most people probably can't fathom working on something for two years without seeing a single dollar. Right. That's, I think, the difference between the entrepreneur's mentality and the employee mentality, where you want money as soon as you show up in the door. And that's... Delayed gratification. Yeah. Delayed gratification. That's a whole other topic. Oh, and this is where maybe we shift to talking about mom. Mm-hmm. So our mom uh, was so a Filipino immigrant. She w- was a stay-at-home mom for us for most of our younger years. She uh, mm-hmm. decided, I'm not going to be in the workforce. I'm going to be home to raise our kids. And such a blessing for us so privileged to be able to have a mother that was just always present um but once we got a little bit older she wanted to earn money get back out into the workforce but she wasn't the employable type right. I, I think she had what she passed down to me was like that stubbornness not wanting to work for somebody else <laughs> wanting to do shit her own way yeah and um it it really helped us learn how to take risks i think because she got into what? I mean, at the time, multi-level marketing was like 
a big thing. Yeah. It's a generational thing. You know, I think all baby boomers probably did an MLM at some point and she had, she had her stint with a couple. Um, my had, I think maybe mild success with one or two. Mm-hmm. Um, but then moved on to the next thing and started another thing and then eventually um, got into real estate did well there or was was she a programmer first she got an associates in computer science yeah. and was like a ui tester for a few years yep i remember those years because we got new video games every week she yeah. gets a paycheck and we get a new nintendo game <laughs> i mean that's really cool though like sometimes right. i underestimate or i underrate the fact that as an immigrant went and got an associates to go and worked for hewlett packard and yeah. compact compact and hewlett packard yeah. that order i think um and that made her good money Right. Like, I think it made her, you know, for that time, good, decent money. Yeah. So she would take risks, you know, and she would, of course, get tired of things and decide she didn't want to do it anymore. And I think that there's important lessons there, too, of like, making sure you're filling yourself up with what you're doing. I know that I always like looked up to her as like a, a way to go about taking risks, doing interesting new things all the time, and never feeling like you're committed to one path. And um, obviously, you know, when we talk about my, how my twenties and thirties played out, it's very similar to that. And just, she always had that optimism and can do attitude where it's just like, you don't try that many things without thinking they're all going to succeed, you know? And so there is a kind of a hidden, just like gem in there of her just always being like, oh yeah, thinking of all the reasons why something will work. And maybe that's why we thought of all the reasons why Spectora would work. I don't know. The naive optimism is so necessary to be an entrepreneur. If you're thinking about all the reasons why it won't work, you're never going to get off talk the yourself out of it. Yeah. yeah. Cause yeah, let's be real. Like 90 something percent of entrepreneurial ventures fail. And so really you have to be naive. You have to be naive and you have to keep taking shots at the goal. Even when you know, man, this, this might miss. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also her mentality towards, um, like even seeing her around the house, keeping things clean, <sighs> spotless, like that level of work. It's, it's just like that level of, um, I don't even know what you call it. It's like pride of ownership. Yeah. Like it, everything was always clean. And that was just how she was. I don't know how she fucking does it because now I have two kids at home. Our house is constantly a disaster. <laughs> it looks like grenades go off in every single room, like every, yeah. any given day or the or hour of the day. And somehow high motor. Time, she, oh. she was a, maybe we talk about high motor people. She had high RPMs where she just like could nonstop nonstop and she called that her exercise that was the, was the funny thing she didn't exercise a ton but she was like i clean the house every day that's my exercise clean the house she rearranged <laughs> furniture a lot she yeah she did so much with the hours that she had while still cooking all the meals for us and raising us and taking us out yeah. to do fun things she was a super mom you know and we didn't we didn't realize it we probably took it for granted at the time right. but having that as a role model i think was so cool yeah modeling that is, is huge um so let's shift gears. What else do you have on your notes in terms of like your maybe let's, you know, whether it's high school, college or post-college. So here's some of the things that I realized early on that I might be suited for entrepreneurship. Um, so I remember in elementary, I buy these packs of gum and then all the kids would be like, Hey, can I get a stick of gum? And I'm like, yeah. And pretty soon I was giving out so much of my gum and that pissed me off because I spent like a buck 50 on a pack. And so I decided I was going to ask for a quarter for every stick of gum. And, you know, there's like 20 in this dollar fifty pack. And so pe- pretty soon kids would be showing up to class with quarters because <laughs> they just wanted gum from me instead of going out and buying their own pack. And I was like, huh, this is fascinating. I can profit, you know, a couple bucks from every pack of gum. So now I can buy two packs of gum every week and then go in and sell it in class. And so 
that was like maybe my first lesson, you know, this is what, like fourth grade. That's awesome. My first lesson of like how to scale up. That's so good. <laughs> That's so just like buy it for less, sell it for more. Right. Basic business lessons. Yep. Um, and so then I remember also like in high school, mom and dad would give us money to go and get a haircut. And at some point I was like, damn, this costs a lot. How much does a hair clipper cost? I'm going to learn how to cut my own hair. And so I made them promise that they're always going to give me, you know, whatever this was, 10 bucks every two weeks for a haircut. He's pocketed. And then I would just pocket it. And to this day, I've only paid for like three haircuts in my whole life. So I'm good. still cutting my own hair because it's just one of those things that like I learned to do it myself. Think about that mentality though. Like that, that I see it in you today. Like, and that is something I think that can be decided and learned. It's easier if you start earlier, but like, what a good mentality to say, like, I can figure it out. Let me just be, uh, you know, frugal here yeah. and have money in the bank. Yeah. Not everyone thinks that way. A lot, most people don't think that way. It's America. Right. You know, it's consumerism. Spend, spend, spend. Yeah. Whereas my mentality has always been, how do we yeah, accumulate assets, spend money on things that make us more money and minimize that spend on things unless you're just really treating yourself. Because like, let's be real. I've, I've bummed around Europe for months at a time and spent right. crazy amounts of money. But that was like something that I did because I really enjoyed it when I was working. That was the thing I was working towards. Yeah. So it's almost like a barbell strategy where it's just like you're either on one end of the spectrum or the other and this, you got experiences over here to the right. Yeah. Um, and then you have, don't spend it till you got it on the left. Yeah. Is that accurate? Yeah. It's a little bit contradictory. Maybe we can kind of flesh out what. <laughs> well, I mean, I believe one side comes from dad where yeah. it's just like, don't spend it till you got it, you know, water down the orange juice, wear the same pair of jeans for 20 years. And then we had our mom was like, you got to live life. You got to right. enjoy experiences and travel. And so it's like, we have kind of had the best of both worlds. That's that true. That's true. The two voices in our head that are competing. And we always find that, that balance point for ourselves. Um, fascinating. So I want to, I want to dig into something. Cause uh, like I said earlier, you got into basketball at an early age mm -hmm. and the level that you attained is amazing. You, you were a college player. You went and played professionally in the Philippines briefly and um, you set records, you know, your high school price still has your name on plaques everywhere, mm -hmm. college, you set so many records for three-pointers assists, you were a star point guard. How, how did you do that? Like what, obviously I remember stories like after practice, you'd be like, oh, can I just have the key coach? Cause I'm gonna shoot like <laughs> 500 more free throws before I go home. Like what, talk about that. Yeah, that's a funny story in that in high school, I was so frustrated that the gym had to close at any point. Um, and so I think at one point I asked the coach for the key to put the hoops down. Cause it was like a key that you'd put in the hoops come down from the ceiling and he gave it to me and was just like, yep, just bring it back to me at the end of the day. So I was like, cool. So I went in like during first period, used the gym. And then I was like, shit, I think I'm gonna make a copy of this at lunch. <laughs> so I literally left for lunch, went and made a copy of that key. And then also a copy, I believe, to get into the school, like the front door. I don't know how I, don't know how I had both. I, I can't remember how I got the, the key to actually get in the door. Yeah. But I made copies and was like, sweet, I could, I could practice whenever I want now. And so like, that was kind of how I got that. I don't think the coach, I, I don't know, maybe the coach knew, but he didn't, he, he didn't say anything. I think maybe <laughs> he was just like a don't ask, don't the tell kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, so, so let's break <laughs> this down. So not only did you have like the desire, the pure drive just to get better for yourself, like for, let's talk about that first. Where that even comes from. What, I, what's I, that about? Not Ali, my wife always asked me this of like, why did you, why were you so obsessive at like age eight or whatever? Like yeah. doing, I used to do like calf raises in my room and yeah. had little barbells and probably did them too young, probably stunted my growth. <laughs> but, but um, 
it was a sport I fell in love with. Um, it was just like, maybe there's something in me that just like the repetition of it. I don't know if mm. that comes from mom or dad or the work ethic thing of just like, Hey, if you're going to do this, be good at it. And, yeah. and I just took that to the extreme, but for whatever, for whatever reason, I still don't fully know why I became very obsessive and maybe I got early validation. Maybe I got early like praise of, you know, when you're young, it's like, Hey, you're good at that. It's like, Oh, that feels good. Let me, yeah. Even though it's not long-term, probably the best thing <laughs> to rely on. Um, but yeah, I think the repetition of like, let me do, let me become amazing at this. Let me do the same thing every day for like 10 years, essentially. Yeah. Um, and I think as I got better, I got feedback that felt good. And then it just like continued to be this thing of like, okay, I want to be a college basketball player. I want to be a pro basketball player. And, and then once that goal was set, I think it was like, what, what do I have to do to get there and how do I maximize what I've been given? And to me, it's just work. It's just like work at that point of just like, I, I get up, go to work at 6am before school, go to school, work out afterwards for like 10 years. Uh, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> Cause obviously 99% of people don't do this. Right. Like, right. Did you have any teammates that were doing this with you? One or two, one or two, but even then it's like, I'd go by myself a lot of times before yeah. they'd show up. But, um, not many that were maniacal in that right. way of, uh, it, and maybe there's some unhealthy stuff in there to un uncover and dig <laughs> up, but it, it just, it ate away at me to not continually get better yeah. at it. So you I, had a goal and you were just consistently looking to find ways to keep moving towards it, which is amazing. And then second thing I love about that story, you had the initiative to maybe not break the rules, bend the rules. I don't know. But to say like, but you're the rule breaker usually, you know, so that's, that's, but you, you were like, I'm going to leave school on my lunch break, copy this key, obviously not my property, but I, I want to go and shoot more free throws and practice more. So I'm going to copy this key so that I can get in whenever I want and not to do anything like what most kids, high school kids are doing. Yeah, like graffiti. graffiti or stealing shit. You're like, no, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to like, Hold my craft. My free throw percentage needs to be a few percent higher. And <laughs> it felt wrong that someone told me I couldn't go use the gym to get better at a sport that like I wanted to be great at to represent the school. So it felt wrong where I'm like, right. wait, you're kicking me out of here and I'm trying to like be the best I can be. I was right. like, fuck that. Like it's like a spirit of the law versus letter of the law yeah, kind of thing. Right? Exactly. Exactly. And so I, I, without even knowing it, I think over all those years, learning how to do things that don't feel fun, mm -hmm. learning how to rep, rep something out. You know, we yeah. use a repetition at Spectora like every day of yeah. like, Hey, get your 10,000 reps in or get your thousand reps in. That's the only way to get better at right. something is doing it. And so yeah. maybe not even knowing that like kind of, um, doing the hard things every day result in long-term success. Right. And that's, you know, I think that's why sports are great. That's why clubs growing up, Anything that you show up to consistently and do ingrains something in your brain. Right. So I think sticking with something maybe is the, the lesson here, right? It's it like, sounds like it. I was always in awe of your discipline because I couldn't stick with anything in, until I was like 35. So <laughs> <laughs> which Let's talk about that, which serves you in different ways, right? Because <clears throat> that's, I love how we have, you know, in, in a way contrasting paths mm -hmm. in terms of like, your diversity of experience versus my like very narrow, like stayed in my lane for like 10 years right. and then got a corporate job. Whereas like you did all the opposite <laughs> things. So like, yeah. What, what do you pick out of your history in terms of like trying all these, I mean, you've been an entrepreneur basically your whole life yeah, without well, even knowing it yeah. in some sense. Like in 
in high school, I was like president of future business leaders in America. I don't know. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just would say like, oh, I want to be rich. And I think the way to get rich is to have your own business. So I was like trying to learn how to just be in business. Where did that insight come from? Even in like high school? Like, did you see, do you remember when that moment was or what you, what you saw? Or? You remember our friend, John, he, he would always talk in that, those kinds of terms where mm -hmm. he would always be like, can't get rich working for somebody else. He was saying that stuff in high school. Oh, even, yeah, huh? totally. Okay. So yeah. that, he was a big influence on you. He was a big influence on that mentality. Early yeah, on. I remember. Um, but at the time, of course, I also like, I don't know if I like demonized trying to accumulate money, but it wasn't something that sat perfectly with me because I also wanted to do something that felt good and meaningful. And I just, I, at the time I viewed like business as just, oh, I just you know, become part of this big machine that doesn't really, right. doesn't you know, matter. Mean. Um, and so gosh, my in college, I shifted majors every semester. It was like <laughs> psychology, then philosophy, and then marketing and then computer information systems. So you hit the average of like seven, I think they say seven times is the average. Did you hit that? Or did you hold up college, the average? Yeah. yeah. You know, and I think I ended up staying with computer information systems because it was like a business degree, but also taught coding and like all things pointed towards computers being like very safe. That's even a, a nugget of insight that most people at that time, that was 98. Yeah. 99. So yeah. So not everyone yeah. thought that at that time. So like to right. me, there's some brilliance in there of just seeing Looking where the ahead. puck is going right? yeah. skating in that direction yeah yeah and then you know right out of college my first job was at in verizon in hawaii you know so i go out to hawaii i'm sitting in a cubicle you know they're sending me out just to like scan barcodes of network cards and um write some basic scripts and i hated it i was just like i cannot do this corporate grind i'm like one out of ten thousand people in this building even in like, hawaii even in hawaii even in hawaii hawaii is beautiful maybe it's even worse because you're staring out the window you could be surfing <laughs> but you're just in here writing code and, um, and I felt meaningless and, and I knew exactly how much I get paid. I knew like, oh, if I work really hard, maybe I'll get a little bit more, but like not, that's when I realized unlimited upside was very meaningful mm -hmm. to me. Uh, I, I wasn't very motivated as an employee. I didn't feel the ability to work hard when it wasn't me that was getting some portion right. of the benefits. Right. Right? And so I knew like big corporate gigs weren't for me. So I quit that. Like what, really where does that even come from in you like that? Cause to me, that's not normal to into the level you felt the unjustness. Like I know, <laughs> I know like you yeah. felt very strongly about that. And like, I can't pinpoint something where that would have come from. Cause it's not like, like mom and dad were not like mom was an entrepreneur in some ways, but not in the truest sense where she right. started a business, ran it for a long time, yeah. had unlimited upside. I think, our mom's love language was words of affirmation and she showered me with praise all the time. And obviously, you know, in, in school, I found out I had a really good memory, so I didn't have to try super hard. I just remembered I'd like read book passages and then be able to almost write in quotes that on the mm -hmm. test. And teachers thought I was cheating until I was like, <laughs> let me recite it for you. I read this a month ago and I, that faded once I started drinking in college. But right. at the time I was able to, I felt special. Mm -hmm. And then I think that gets ingrained where you're like, well, if all these other guys can become rich by just creating these different businesses, why not? Why can't I? Why not me? And so there's always this idea that like, why not me? Why not me? I can do this. I can be whatever I want. I can make this one life that we have anything I want it to be. And, you know, and I never was somebody that would like find mentors. I was never somebody that had like role models I looked up to. I was always just imagining my future self and what course I needed to plot to get to that person. Oh. Um, 
I don't know if that's normal or, or egotistical or what, but it's like powerful though. I think whatever seeded that, you know, the combination of your influences in life, mom and dad, whatever it is, um, making a decision at a certain point, once you have, uh, I don't know, are there any independent thoughts or into you know, like as a kid, but yeah. basically that blind belief. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. And I was determined to do it my own way too. Like I saw in my twenties, people trying to claw up the corporate ladder and I was just like, fuck that. That yeah. just doesn't feel authentic to me. I'm not going to, it felt like you had to be fake. You had to show up. You had to punch a clock. You have to sit your ass in a seat, even when there's no work to be done because your boss will walk by the cubicle and be like, Oh, Mike's still here. Oh, and that all man. felt like bullshit. And so, you know, I spent a couple of years, just, I went back to like my college job of working a YMCA after school program with kids. Cause it felt meaningful. But at some point um, I realized, Hey, I want to make some sort of money. I want to take some risks and do stuff. So my first company was like an adventure tourism company that um, I just wanted to take people hiking, camping, surfing and international students, right? You, international had, a passion, you had a passion for international students because yeah. you worked in the international office right. at CSU, right? Yeah. And studying abroad and us having lived abroad in, in our younger years with dad's Air Force gigs um, had made me have this fascination with the space. So yeah, for, for a couple of years is not lucrative at all, but I decided, hey, I'm going to start a company to do the things I want to do with the kind of people that I want to hang out with and have it pay my bills. Because you saw a need though, right? So yeah. it's like you, 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 you saw a need that international students wanted to travel and explore the US. Right. right. They wanted to do the kind of stuff. I was living in San Diego at the time. They wanted to check out Yosemite. They wanted to go up to LA and see what the Santa Monica Pier looks like. They wanted to go up to San Francisco. They wanted to go to Baja, Mexico. And, and so I said, hey, I'll put together tours for this. So I bought enough gear to like fill up my, you know, garage that I shared with four roommates. I bought I rent vans on the weekends from, you know, budget or Hertz or mm -hmm. whoever. And um, I cook all the meals. I made the website. I made the online reservation system. I integrated with PayPal to facilitate the payment. I created the flyers and Photoshop that I pirated Photoshop, I think. Uh, and at that time, did you feel comfortable? Did you feel like you knew how to do everything or was some of it? No, some of it was just like, let me just figure out how to do this. Cause I don't know. It was a way to teach myself. I, yeah. Here's the thing. I've always viewed everything I've done as practice for the next thing. Even now, Spector is practice for our next big thing. That's mm -hmm. going to be five times as big as Spector, right. 10 times as big as Spector. So at the time, I was like, hey, this is my first venture. I'm going to just figure shit out. And so I think I, at the time, I used it to teach myself PHP. <laughs> at the time, I, you know, I learned Photoshop through creating the brochures for it. Huge. Yeah. It was just YouTube tutorials for everything. Mm. And, um, and then I just started getting out there and talking to people and telling them what I was doing and bringing that excitement because it felt so authentic to be excited over something that I created. Yeah. This was like me, you know, when I recruited all my friends that just wanted a free surf trip and I was like, dude, I'll buy you your food for the weekend. You just come and like help these guys <laughs> surf or Hey, just come, go on a hike with me. And they're like, sweet, Easy. I'll do that for the weekend. And so it was like super low cost. And, um, and so it was awesome. I, I did that for a few years until it felt like, uh, you know, money was not enough. I was kind of mm -hmm. scraping by in my late twenties. And I went back to doing some freelance um, web programming, which kind of launched another business, but the lessons learned to me, the big lesson is teach yourself everything you need. Take those lessons, apply it to the next thing. Keep building your skill set. Because if I hadn't done all that, would we have been able to create like our own brochures for Spectora and our own conference gear and the websites and the might have costed a hundred grand for all that, a no, couple hundred grand easily. And so, to me, you can't do anything better than investing your own skill set. I love it. And I listened to a podcast the other day that says 
it's much better to be a generalist to potentially be a CEO or run a company than just like a very narrow specialist. Right. Um, and generalist in the sense that you can do certain things better than others, but you know right. how to do a broad range of things because then you can oversee it. Yeah. And when the time comes to hire, you know what's going on. Yeah. And so it sounds like, I mean, obviously you were a specialist in many things, but you knew how to do everything. You ran a business from, from scratch. Well, so yeah, that's really I mean, cool. I don't think I specialize in anything. I don't think I was ever a great coder or a great designer or a great, but I was above average at all of them, right? Right. I put in enough time to feel like, hey, I'm decent at this. I can build stuff with this. And um, and I think that just goes for, yeah, all preparation work is just say, hey, get good enough to where you can get out, you know, the MVP, the minimum viable products. That should be the goal is like delivering real business value, not obsessing over the craft of it, not saying, oh, this needs to be perfect. I need to make the code the most elegant it is. I need to make the design flawless. None of that matters. None of that matters. Making revenue matters when you're trying to run a business. Yep, yep. <laughs> Getting a dollar in, a dollar in. Yeah. I, I want to jump there to, because your freelancing career, I think really set you up well and, and taught you so much and gave you so much confidence in terms of like mm. building the websites for like these movies and like, oh, yeah. you know, some of these movies people have probably even heard of. You freelance for studio, right? Like a movie studio. Yeah. So, um, some guys that I briefly worked with, um, went and started some gig in Hollywood where they were making, we were making websites for, um, is a lot of B grade movies, but I learned flash and then was like, Hey guys, I can do flash websites. They're like, awesome. Let's make a bunch of flash websites. That was flash craze, right? Oh, Everything was about flash. Yeah, yeah. That was so fun. And, um, so yeah. And then that kind of parlayed into eventually some people that were trying to build startups would say, Hey, can you help me build an MVP for my startup? And I would learn lessons there of like, oh, you did a lot of work way over engineering this thing, thinking of all these eventualities. Most of them would never come to pass because you didn't think about how to get your first customers. <laughs> your minimum viable product was not very minimal. Um, you know, and I learned how to hire contractors and like delegate, manage workflows. All of those processes, I think, helped once we started scaling up Spectora. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's advice I hear all the, you know, from a couple other um, entrepreneur podcast I listen to is work with a startup, go find, you know, if you want to be a creator on YouTube, go work for a creator on YouTube and learn what they do. And, and just basically, you know, some people say you're either learning or earning and it's like, go learn and work yeah. for a startup and see what they do. And you got, you were fortunate enough to do both. I think of like, right. made good money contracting, but also built enough MVPs and helped them achieve their dream enough to be like, you know what? They're going to like, if this turns into a billion dollar business, I get nothing except what I got paid. Yeah. So that probably seeded you to say like, you know what? I'm going to build my own MVP. Oh, 100%. Like yeah. I was learning lessons on somebody else's dime, but all the while knowing eventually I'm going to be building my own product. And that's going to be where, you know, hopefully all these dreams can come true. But man, it's so nice to be able to learn and grow your skill set while still making money. And because it was my own kind of agency, there was unlimited upside. I could scale. I could hire contractors to help me out when I got really busy. Um, obviously, there's like a feast or famine. You can't, you know, eat and hunt at the same time right. mentality. I don't think I ever want to get back into agency work. But at the time, it was a way to learn a lot really quickly. I think there's probably a lot of freelancers that that are listen to this, that will listen to this. And I think it's because I see I interact with a lot of them on Twitter where they're mm -hmm. freelancers. They're trying to ramp up their own thing. And it's a tough balance, you know, because it's it is feast or famine. But I think it also puts you in a unique spot to maybe seed your first couple customers if your product is in a space that your customers use oh, or something yeah. that they'll eventually work with. So Great I think, point. yeah, I think freelancing is is wonderful for building a skill set because yeah. there's so much leeway with like, hey, I'm gonna try this new because I freelanced as like an SEO 
person for a while and I just got to try things out in different industries. Right. And um, so let's, so all the while I'm doing these random things and you're working, tell me like, let's go back to you. So you get out of college, you decide you're not going to be a pro basketball player in the Philippines. Like, let's go back to that. And like, <laughs> I, I was a finance major. So I started off as an engineering major. because I went to Colorado school of mines for a couple of years, basically flunked out it was so hard. Couldn't balance playing basketball in college and going to like a top three engineering school. So had like a, I think at one point, like a 1.9, it was terrible. It was embarrassing. So I transferred out, went to a, a school in Kansas where I could major in finance. And so that, cause I wanted to be an investment banker, hmm. believe it or not. So it was like, Kind what was that about? Like, what, uh, what made you think you wanted to do that? When I was researching at Carl School of Mines, when I was like, I can't be an engineer. This sucks. Um, <laughs> I'm too extroverted. I don't like this. <laughs> I don't like any of this. So I researched top careers, basically just literally Googled, like, what are the best careers? Or how do you make, maybe I probably Googled, like, how do you make a shit ton of money or something? <laughs> and it led me to investment banking. And like, may, maybe something growing up, I glamorized kind of a, uh, having money, being an investment banker. I don't know. It sounded cool. Yeah. So they're cool. I'm gonna go major in finance, become an investment banker. Came to realize you can't go to like a B grade school or even a C grade <laughs> school and become an investment banker. You yeah. got to go to one of the coasts and, uh, you know, go somewhere big and have connections. So major in finance realized, okay, stocks are kind of interesting. I had a class that I was pretty inspired by that taught us about Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger and their investment philosophies and had a professor that was particularly inspiring. So I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to be a financial advisor or stock trader. That world's very sexy to me. Um, and so I got a job at Charles Schwab. Um, the reality is that I was in a cubicle answering 70 calls a day, executing trades for people or resetting grandma's passwords. Like it was <laughs> for, for 34K a year. Yeah. So it was entry level, 34K a year. But that felt like a lot of money to me. So I was just like, cool, I can get my own apartment. I can go out and drink on the weekends. Um, I kind of felt good. I was just like, hey, I'm going to work my way up make six figures, you know, mm -hmm. by the time I'm 30, um, be a good life that couldn't, you know, after a year goes by and you start realizing like, man, this is wearing on me this is sucking my soul sitting in a cubicle every day, doing the same thing, uh, providing min minimal value, you know, to a business. So it's like the value to me that I felt wasn't very great. So, so it's, is it about, feeling like you're not being totally utilized, like you had more talents to offer? Eventually, yes. So I yeah. think the first couple of years, I didn't know what I didn't know. I was young, just like right. happy to have a job. And then once that kind of wears off, when you're kind of yeah. like, okay, what what am I doing? Like, yeah. what, what's next? You know, you start feeling like, okay, that wore off, having enough money to drink on the weekends. How do I get to 50K? Right. And I was like, wow, there's not a path here mm. to get there. I'm going to get my inflation raise every year. Yeah. I'm going to get told I'm not answering enough calls. I was like, fuck this, this feels <laughs> terrible. So I started researching. I knew, I knew what you were doing. Obviously we talked, you know, every so often at that point, um, cause we were kind of doing our own things in yeah, life, but I was I, in California, you were yeah, in Colorado. Yeah. I knew you were doing tech. So I just went to TechCrunch and started reading articles when I was bored during the day. Yeah. Like I would, I'd literally get a call and the customer would like accidentally disconnect, but the call would still be connected. I'd let it run for 45 minutes while I was reading TechCrunch <laughs> articles. So it looked like I was on a call right. and QA doesn't QA calls when they're over like 20 or 30 minutes. So you're working the system. So I'm working the system. I was like, <laughs> you know what? I get to fucking read about tech and yeah. uh, you know, Zuckerberg and Facebook. And, uh, and then I get credit for this really long call. So it's fucking great. <laughs> so like we, would, I spent years doing this. Right. So I spent years trying to figure out how I could literally just read about startups mm -hmm. 
and a, a, a kind of a fire started to burn of like, dude, this is fascinating. This is like so cool. And this is like 08 through 10 maybe. Yeah. And all these startups raising money. It was just a whole new world to me where I was just like, oh, dude, tech's where it's at. Yeah. Fuck finance. That's boring. <laughs> you know, that's old money. Right. Boring. So I just would send you articles. I don't know if you remember this phase where it's just like, yeah. I'd send you articles of new businesses that were launched that raised money and was just like, dude, we got to do this. Like yeah. we, here's an idea. Here's an idea. And I started just brainstorming every day in that cubicle for years. I remember this phase because at this time, so it was like, Oh wait, financial crash happens. I think the Hollywood studio, the money, mm. you know, ran out. So right. I was kind of in a rut, not getting projects. I started building iPhone games just as a way to try and get money. Had a couple of decent ones, but nothing, you know, mm -hmm. lucrative, just enough to kind of scrape by. And, um, and I was thinking like, damn, I think I want to move back to Colorado and start a business with my brother. Um, I didn't think maybe it was going to be like what we have now. I just thought like, Hey, it'd be fun to do something with my brother. I want to kind of show him this life that I had kind of created where you get to be free and have this, I didn't have a lot of money, but I had this feeling of a limited upside, which is I think even better than having money is like, I don't know, my mind's very addicted to like potential. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, so that's what I remember a lot about that phase was like, okay, cool. Like, uh, I think this is a good time for me. I think I had a little in, interim chapter where I sold all my possessions, went and volunteered on a farm in France for six months to really contemplate my next chapter. Um, that That's another story. Yeah, but yeah. Um, ended up coming back to Colorado. I enrolled in grad school. At, at the time, I thought, hey, I want to be a counselor, like a therapist. But I also wanted to do something with you. Like, right. I, I liked having multiple things going on in my life. I like, you know, using all the different parts of my brain. And so you and I move in together, that apartment in Wash Park. Oh, it's worth noting going back to that. Like, I think a lot of people, like I glamorized finance because of the potential and the money. And then once I realized they worked 80 hour weeks um, forever, basically, um, I was like, well, that's shitty. And I really envied your lifestyle because I, I was like in this cubicle and I would, I'm just like, dude, he gets to surf, he gets to play volleyball, he gets to work like all, you know, make his hours as a freelancer. And that life just felt so appealing. I felt like I was like in a jail cell. Like it, yeah. that's what a cubicle feels like. I'm not going to, you know, don't want to over dramatize it, but it's like when you're just punching the clock every day, oh, yeah. even in my twenties, it started to feel like, Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm aging here. Like this, I don't want this, you know, cause I, I worked with, and everyone knows us. If you have a job, I worked with people that were 20 years older than me doing the same shit, doing the same thing, the same conversations yes. by the water cooler, the same bullshit, you know, mindless droning. Right. And I was like, I'm not going to fucking be not like that. I'm me. special. I'm different. Yes. I have something much more in me to be that person. And it almost like I'm thankful for them now. Oh yeah. I had the same exact feelings where like, Hey, we're only in this life once. I, I remember my twenties just like, preaching to people They're like no we're not meant to spend time in cubicles like I was taking you know two month trips to Central America and just bringing my laptop and working from hammocks and tell people like this is the way everybody needs to start their own business and be an entrepreneur and everybody was just too concerned with getting their next paycheck and right you know I think people's living expenses tend to inflate and so then they're required to get the next paycheck at that same level they used to be I remember always trying to keep my expenses low because that meant freedom that yes. meant options. And I think that's a huge lesson that you had a skill. I think yeah. that's the big, that your confidence came from the fact that like you either had a skill or you knew you could learn any skill needed right. to be okay. No matter what you yes. just always had a philosophy of like, I'm going to be okay. 
learn an in-demand skill and you'll never have to worry, right? Anytime Huge. I wanted to, I could just start shopping around for contract gigs and yep. get something. Yep. Some were more lucrative than others, but like there was always the ability to make money when I needed it. And that's huge. So I'd recommend to everybody, get a skill first. You can't just uh, <laughs> go out there and yeah. expect the world to, to work out. You need to work towards it. But once you have that skill, that gives you options. And then think about how do you keep buying future options? Because I think that's something that's been at the core of our business is like always making sure we had lots of choices in the future. And any path that felt like it constrained some of those future choices was always tough to make. And so that's probably why we never took investment. That's probably why we never made like huge commitments for exclusive deals to any partnership companies. Yep. We've always tried to say, hey, let's keep options open in the future. And I think it's kind of rooting in that mentality. Yes. Yeah, 100%. Um, okay. So we... So like you said, moving together, we, uh, we start a t-shirt company. We don't have to spend a ton of time on this, but basically we want, we, you know, inspired by my daughter, Kira, there was terrible clothing options for young girls out there. I think I remember seeing the juicy brand for like young girls yeah. on the, on the butt, something just where you're like, you kidding me? Yeah. So we started a brand, um, around inspirational and motivational clothing for, uh, women, yeah. young girls and women. Um, and so anyone that knows the t-shirt business, not easy, Brutal. low margin, holding holding inventory don't know what we were thinking we just we were idealistic in that way mm -hmm. and uh, thought okay it can be done and we had a friend even who created a big brand you know clothing and hats turns out very hard to do you have to have distribution you got to have constant pr yeah but it was practice it was practice it was practice for us working together yep i got to learn adobe illustrator and designing t-shirt designs True. um I made a WordPress website for the first time. E-commerce. Custom plugins and e-commerce. You were doing SEO. SEO. Yep. You were doing, you know, marketing work. You were trying to get us, you know, you guys featured on the front page of Yahoo at one point, which was like our highest number of sales. Sold, sold like a hundred, like couple hundred shirts. Yeah. That day. <laughs> yeah. So biz dev work, reaching out to people, learning how to put yourself out there. Yeah. Um, you know, sending cold emails takes mm -hmm. repetition and practice. So yeah, I think we've learned a ton of great skills. Yeah. I think the SEO and the irony is in order to get, those pages to rank high to sell those t-shirts. I learned SEO from scratch. I'm mm -hmm. just like Googling what is SEO. That's like literally where I started. That eventually led to getting a job at home advisor yeah. on an SEO team, mm -hmm. which kind of parlayed into like what's helped us at Spectora. So it's interesting yeah. how I followed that breadcrumb. I was able to interview and get hired because I'm like, Hey, look, I started this t-shirt company where I had to learn SEO from scratch, even though I was like fully an amateur, right. you know, I didn't know what the hell yeah. I was doing. I just knew, I just did a little bit of research and work. That was enough to get hired. Yeah. And I purely took that job to learn, yeah. not to earn. Yeah. I, you know, I was probably making like 40 K at that job. It wasn't that much more. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I think taking a, a specific job to learn, nothing wrong with that totally. to prepare you for the, you know, the eventual startup. hundred percent. Yeah. And so meanwhile, I'm in grad school. I'm learning how to be a good counselor. <laughs> Eventually, I would learn that being a counselor wasn't all that I thought it would be. However, some of the skills that I think learned there were foundational to our business. Huge. Learning how to really listen to people. If you're an aspiring entrepreneur out there, I think you should definitely learn how to listen to people. If that skill is in place, I think so much, so many other things will fall into place. Um, asking deeper questions, really digging into people's like pain and underlying needs. And it's you know, after digging into people's childhood trauma, it's way easier to dig into how they're using software and what's causing a pain, right? It's easy. Like what are their business flow processes that are broken? Like that's very easy after working on these like deep rooted traumas. And so um, 
that was phenomenal. And just really learning like patience and compassion for everybody and assuming that everybody's trying their best. That's huge. And I think it's, you know, it's something that I think you probably had naturally something. It, they were skills I had to learn on how to um, just interact with people in a really good way. What advice would you give to someone who's not going to go, you know, spend 30 grand on a counseling psychology masters? Um, because I think this is essential. I think it's, it's changed the course of our company, the yeah. way we lead it's, it's impacted my life, you know, just you imparting the ability to ask questions, to listen, have empathy. Um, it really brought it out of me, you know, cause like you said, I think I was maybe had those like core skills, but didn't yeah. know how to put them in practice. I didn't yeah. know how to like manifest them in business. What would you tell someone that just like, cause there's a lot of, you know, um, you know, dev founders yeah. that are shitty at people that are shitty at people that don't know how to interact with clients. They rely on the marketing right. guy for that. And you, you did both because of your background. How do you work on this stuff? That's a great question. I remember a lot of my early relationships, like when I was dating in my twenties of, you know, and especially dating girls that are very in touch with their emotions. Um, I just felt like it couldn't compute. Like I, it's mm -hmm. like we were speaking two different languages, but really trying to dig in and say like, Hey, they're not wrong. Like no feelings are wrong, but every feeling is valid. How do I understand it? It's just to put it in engineering terms, like another variable in the equation. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think that was the beginnings of it. And then I found myself gravitating more towards these people that were very in touch with their emotions and could communicate about them well and spending way more time with them because it was very fascinating to me. There, it wasn't the, the black and white um, of programming and computer science yeah. where like if you know one plus one equals two is very much like, wow, I don't know a lot about how human brains work. Let me just keep on digging into that. And so, yeah, nobody is probably gonna go out and get a counseling degree yeah. Um, to learn this stuff. But if you have friends that seem more emotionally in touch, hang out with them or talk uh, about things more, say, Hey, how can I dig into this more? Maybe go see a counselor yourself. Cause a lot of it can, they're all trained to do this. Right. And if you go in with that as your thing, they will help you guaranteed. Yeah. And so I would say these are, are great skills to learn. And if nothing else, just every conversation you're in, see if you can ask somebody like, three, four, even five questions on anything they bring up. Like if they just give you the first answer, dig into why, and then dig in a little deeper, just keep peeling away those layers. You can practice literally with any conversation anything, you're in, anything, literally anything. And so, gosh, what great product skill to have, what great, just making people feel heard and understood. If that's there, man, your customers are gonna love you because they just know you, you care. Oh, and you know, as a starter question, can you tell me more about that? Like, I think you, <laughs> you seeded that into me where it's just yeah. like, it feels uncomfortable, mm. but in, and it pushes the person to think deeper and it leads to awkward pauses and silences. But like, if you start with your customers or spouse or kids, if like, can you tell me more about that? Yeah. Done. Like, that's a good way to start to totally. get more from people. And, you know, even just repeating like the last phrase they said with like kind of a question mark, like an inflection, it allows them to elaborate. It's giving space. That to me is the biggest concept. If you can give somebody space, they'll usually fill it. Yeah. And most people in our culture, we're very accustomed to thinking, what's the next thing I'm going to say? I'm formulating a response while I'm listening to you instead of just taking it in, just absorbing it, waiting. Once they're done talking, then you can formulate your response. That's really hard to do. It goes into being likable too. I think like we, we often sometimes say like, 
just being approachable and likable makes customers sign up sometimes because we give them space maybe and you're not trying to talk over them, you know? But that could be a factor. Let's talk about that because I think that's one of your superpowers. Like long before we ever started businesses together, you've always been just generally one of the most likable dudes around. Like you, you always had, you know, when we'd go out drinking together, so, you know, like you're always- Friends everywhere, wanting to always see people. Like, it's always yeah. like a riot, you know, like those scenes yeah. where it's just like a montage <laughs> of you just laughing and like cheersing and, and people, you know, kind of putting you on their shoulders. Oh. And you've always had this gift of being very likable. What do you think that's about? Man, I don't know. I like to be liked. I Maybe mom showered us both with praise in certain ways where it's just like I, <laughs> I wanted to be friends with everybody. Like I had this pull to just always want to have quantity over quality, which now it's flipping obviously as we get older. But um, I think with basketball, being a, being a point guard and a leader of a team, always being appointed as the person of like, hey, get everyone together, organize everyone towards a common goal is what coaches would kind of like, yeah. I'd be an extension of. And so I think I had to really adapt to all kinds of different personalities and backgrounds and um, psychology even, you know, like maybe before I even knew it, I was thinking of how to motivate the power forward on the team because right. uh, he didn't like the coach or he didn't <laughs> want to be there. Like, I don't know. And then, right. you know, I went to two very different colleges uh, and played on two very different teams. So I was school of minds. I was teammates with rocket literal physicists and rocket scientists. And so like learning how to motivate them on a basketball court, very different. Then I went to Fort Hayes State, where it had kids from all walks of life, all mm -hmm. backgrounds, the, you know, probably the most diverse team I would have ever played on. Yeah. You know, I had inner city Seattle on my team. And then I had farm kid from Kansas on the same team. Yeah. Two different worlds, right? <laughs> like un, unreal how I had to rally all of them together towards a common goal. And I had to be like, they had to all like and respect me though. Yeah. So that... I think just has to happen if you're going to be a good leader. And so it was taking time to pull everyone aside. Like I'd spend time with each person on the team to try to understand them and ask them about their life and make them feel good and give them compliments and find out what they're pissed about or what they like. So I, I don't know, um, you know, the origins of it, but it definitely came from having to, to like lead a team towards a common goal. And I think that it manifests in like wanting to be liked and, there's downsides to this, obviously, of like being passive and like being, um, you know, not having depth of, yeah. of interaction and in, in conversations, but I always loved a big crowd. I mean, that's why I love yeah. big cities, yeah. very opposite of my wife. And so it's funny how I love energy of people. And I think yeah. like, I want to be around it. And you're doing the same thing with our team now. I know you take certain team members like, you know, every day or every week and have these pep talks with them. And then they come out feeling <laughs> like they're going to destroy their goals and take over the world. And I love that because you're doing the same thing on this bigger scale where these are the leaders that impact more people in our business. Right. And what a skill, what a thing. And I love how, yeah, you and I have always kind of co-led this company and, and we each do a little bit of that, but I think you excel at like kind of motivating, keeping everybody together, making sure we're focused on the customer. And I'm taking a lot of time, like looking at strategy and like kind of the, the progression of what we need to do in terms of product releases and partnerships. And with our powers combined, we were able to chart a course for this business that's led us from zero to, you know, what's now 5 million a year um, in a very short time. And uh, it's just really cool to see these skill sets that we learned very early on. Love, love our co-founder dynamic. And, you know, I see um, debates on Twitter about single founder versus finding a co-founder. We lucked out having these skill sets because to me, to be able to listen and be empathetic and kind of have a counselor led 
approach mixed with like, I consider myself just an all out hype man of just like making, making people feel good about where they're at and like achieving their goals and dreams and let's all just fucking do it. <laughs> and uh, that's such a hard, I mean, that's an amazing mix and it's mm. just hard to quantify, Yeah, but we know it's there. And right. so I think uh, mixing those elements in as a solo, if you're a solo founder, take bits and pieces from people, from mentors, from people that you follow of like, okay, let me try this out. Right. Cause I still, I'm doing that now. I, I'm on Twitter. I'm like, Ooh, I'm going to take that. I'm going to use this, right. you know, tomorrow with the team. Yeah. Well, my computer died. So I don't know what notes we still had. Dude, let's us. wrap there. That's, that's, uh, that's a good yeah. rant on, I don't know if we, we, we structured <laughs> it at all, but Hey, it, it tells some backstory. Tell some backstory. I think it highlights some key traits that, that hopefully many people listening are like, Ooh, I have an element of that. Let me lean into that. Let me right. press into it. And, um, and if there's certain things that came up where you're like, I've never thought about that. Um, cool. That might be an area to explore, but Hey, there's many paths to doing this thing. Our experience is just our experience, right? Like who yep. knows, maybe we just got lucky and most of the shit we talked about doesn't matter at all. But I think we see a lot of it playing out in our business and know what is moving the needle. So, um, so there's, there's our background and lessons learned. Um, as always, if anybody listening has questions, things that you want us to dig into more, learn more about shoot us an email hit us up we're happy to dive into any topics in future episodes and um yeah until then we'll just see you next week cool